Good evening. It's good, it's good to see you. Um, and uh, I'd love it if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it up to Mark's Gospel. And uh, chapter 14, uh, if you are not familiar with the Bible, um, it's kind of three quarters of the way through. And you'll find some, a portion called the New Testament. And uh, it starts Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to be in Mark. It's one of the Gospels. Um, it's one of the, uh, uh, the stories. Well, basically, it's, the, uh, it's an eyewitness account of Jesus. It's what he does and who he is and what, what, what it looks like. And we're going to be studying in, in what I think is quite an offensive passage of Scripture. It's like one of the most offensive things I think that Jesus does or, uh, or, or, or is, is spoken of uh, about Jesus. And we're going, to, we're going to deal with that. I've just come back from New Zealand. So I was, um, I was two weeks in New Zealand and I had a crazy journey home. You know, it's like 36 hours to get home from New Zealand. And I've been away speaking at a conference and I was really tired because, you know, it sounds great to be in New Zealand, but basically it's just really romantic. Uh, you, you get to speak in halls, you get to be in airports, and every now and again you're on a, in a car and someone says, that was in the Lord of the Rings. And then you stop and you take a picture and you think, this will be great. And then when you get hold of the picture on the phone, it's like a little dot and, and you say to people, that's Mount Doom. Uh, it doesn't look like anything at all. It could have been anywhere. You could have done the whole thing. Anyway, 36 hours to get back home. And I'm in Auckland Airport. And what I've done was I, I've never, ever been upgraded in my life. I've done loads of planes. I've never been upgraded. And I, and I was tired. And I knew I was coming back to you guys. And I had loads of work to do. And it was all piled up. And I needed to sleep. And I just don't sleep on planes. And so I said, God... Would you, you know, could you give me an upgrade so I can lie? I'd like to lie down because I've got long legs and it's just hard. Is that an acceptable prayer? Could you maybe give me an upgrade? And I told Nikki and she said, that's an acceptable prayer. Let's pray for an upgrade. And, and, and here's the thing. I, not only had I prayed for an upgrade, but I had a conversation with an Air New Zealand pilot who happened to be at one of the conferences I was speaking at. And I was kind of hoping that he would get the hint as well and he could kind of do something. And, and so I got to Auckland. I hope you're not feeling bad about the way I did this, but... I got to Auckland Airport and I'm thinking, I'm praying for an upgrade. Come on, God. You can do this. You can move mountains. We just sang the song. You can move mountains. You can get me a flat bet on the way home. So I'm praying for this thing. And, and I'm sitting there and it's like 11 o'clock at night and I'm already tired. And I know I've got 36 hours ahead of me. And, and then over the tannoy system, the person at the desk says, would passenger Martin please come to the desk and I'm thinking oh my word prayer works it really works and so I, I, if I'm honest it, it was a bit shameful I kind of strutted to the desk looking at the plebs or who were all around me who were going to be in economy as I was going to get an upgrade. And I went to the desk and I handed in my ticket because I've seen this happen before. I mean, I've, done, I've taken hundreds of planes and never happened to me, but I've seen it happen before. You give your rubbish ticket over and they exchange it for another ticket and they say, sir, come into the business class. And you know what business class is like? You have to walk through it all the time, don't you? You walk through it and you see people looking very rich and very important. And, and they're looking at you and it's like, get to the back. <laughs> Poor person. Anyway, so we do, we're doing this thing. So, so I'm thinking, oh my word, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be an upgrade. And, and she takes my ticket and she takes a pen and she underlines some letters on it and says, Mr. Martin, you have been especially selected for a search. So I have to do the kind of walk of shame. I have to walk all the way back with an, an, an airline uh, official. And I have to be taken to this room. And basically almost, you know, anyway, a lot of clothes came off. My bag was tipped out. It was the whole, <laughs> don't look so shocked. It's okay, not all. Uh, and and it, was, it was a whole deal. And, and, and I had got on a plane and I was in economy. And I sat there for 12 hours to Los Angeles. I get to Los Angeles 
And we're in transit through Los Angeles, which means you don't have to go through customs. You have this securitous route you have to go through, but you do have to go through the whole security thing. And I get to the security thing, and they take hold of my ticket. And this is, this is me, okay? okay? You just need to understand something. I'm so optimistic in life. I get there, and they take my ticket, and, and, then, and it, instead of it going bing, it goes, Urgh. and they say, oh, passenger Martin, could you just step over here for a moment and someone will come join you and I'm thinking it's an upgrade it's really happening prayer works you know it's going to be amazing I'm going to get and they come to me and they say uh, passenger Martin you've been specially selected for a search this is like and I said no 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 that can't be true because you searched me in Auckland and I haven't been anywhere or done anything there's nothing that can be on my body or in my bag because all I've done is been on your plane and got and they said no 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 the computer says randomly you've been selected for a for a search and let me tell you this American searches are way more invasive than New Zealand searches and so I'm on the plane and 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 then eventually I get to to London. And here's what I thought as I was thinking about that whole thing. Every single time we come around the word of God, and every single time we come into this building, it's, it's like God has specially selected every single one of us. Sometimes it's an upgrade. Often it's a search. Sometimes it's an upgrade. Sometimes God, sometimes God says, hey, you're doing great. Well done. You got this absolutely right. And, and, and I just want to encourage you uh, to grow more in the thing that you're doing great. But oftentimes, God just searches our hearts. And the word of God exposes stuff in us and through us. Isn't that true? And we come face to face with Jesus and we go, oh, huh, that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. We have this audacious belief that this word is living and active and it's going to do stuff. So should we just ask God to come and, and examine our hearts and upgrade us or search us or do both And uh, in this event of the word of God? Let's pray. God, we are so excited that you speak. We're so excited that, that you know our hearts and you specially select each one of us to encounter you. We love that. It's amazing. And Holy Spirit, we just invite you now to come and speak to us and change stuff. Where we need to grow in faith, where we, where we need stuff cut out of our lives, we invite you to come and we give you permission. Holy Spirit, come. Speak, Lord, for your servants. Listening. Amen. And so we come to the climax and the end of a series that we've been talking about this incredibly um, enigmatic, beautiful, powerful thing called church. There's nothing like it. We're not an organization or, or a business. It's like we're a family, but we're, like a, we're a family like no other family. There are people included that would never usually be included. There are, there, there, there are, there are people of different flavors and varieties and different backgrounds and, and challenges. And, 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 and we get to be family and we get to do this thing together. And we've talked over the last few weeks about what it means to be that kind of family, what it means to be set apart, what it means to love God with everything, what it means to be full of the Holy Spirit. And, and I want to climax and finish this whole series by talking about worship, by talking about what it means to be a worshiping community, what it means that the first thing, the first priority in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives is to pursue the presence of Jesus. We are a people who, knowing that we will live our lives worshipping something, have decided to live our lives worshipping him. That's, that's who we are. We are a people who, knowing that we will somehow choose to live our lives worshipping something, maybe it's ourselves, maybe it's stuff, maybe it's success, maybe it's career, maybe it's future, whatever it is, we have decided, we've actively decided, we're the called out ones who have decided that we will live our lives 
worshiping him because he is worth it. We will give ourselves for him above anything else. We pursue him. And I, I was trying to think as I was preparing this talk and, and trying to get my head around, around what, what this was all about. I couldn't kind of find the lever and what, what, what the, the whole thing was. And, and I was, uh, uh, to my shame, watching the fourth round of the FA Cup while I was doing so. And it, was on, it was on the screen. And, and I don't know if any of you, how many of you like football here? About a quarter of you. Stay with me, the rest of you. Okay, so, so I, I was watching, and, and honestly, if you have any inkling of like for football, the fourth round of the third or fourth round of the FA Cup is like the best. It's pure football because what it is is uh, in England, and I know Scotland has its own cup thing, but just forgive me for a moment. In England, there are the, these hundreds of teams, some of whom have millions and millions and millions of pounds. It's like obscene. How much money they have. You know, their, their players are bought for a hundred million pounds and they earn that kind of money and it's, it's obscene. And they play in stadiums that are totally beautiful and 50,000 fans watch them every week. And then there are other teams who nobody pays any of them. And, and they play in front of a hundred people and a dog on a Saturday afternoon and it's always miserable, but they get to play each other. And it's brilliant because sometimes, just sometimes, the small team beats the big team. You know, teams you've never heard of. You don't even know where these places are or where they've come from. And it's, a, it's a very special. And I was watching this thing. I began to realize this. As the church, we are not the employees of a football team who have to do a job and get paid for it and then go home to live our lives. We're like the fans of a football team. We're like the proper fans. And if you've ever seen any of the documentaries of some of, some of the fans and the extents that they, they go to support their team, they wear the kit day in, day out. They buy the new kit. They, they wear the vintage kit. That they, they travel to home matches. They have their season tickets. They stand in the same place with the same people. And they go to away matches, sometimes like 400 miles away, to go to Plymouth, Argyle. And they start at 2 o'clock in the morning and they, they hang out with these guys the whole time. And they listen to 606 on the radio and they read 424, 442 uh, magazines and they can't wait for deadline day. And they're by far the greatest team the world has ever seen because they're fanatics. They spend their money and they give their lives for this thing. And sometimes it looks sad, but that's what they do. And I think what I'm supposed to say is this. We're supposed to be friends of Jesus and fans of Jesus, not a franchise of Jesus' people. We're supposed to be friends of Jesus and fans of Jesus, not a franchise of Jesus' people. We're supposed to give our lives and live our lives and pursue him with all of our lives. And that's the first thing that we do. And that sounds a bit offensive because we've got a very messed up world, haven't we, right now? We've got an awful lot of things that we could get busy doing. Building bridges instead of walls. Building inclusion instead of exclusion. Binding up broken hearts where there is incredible brokenness in our world. Speaking into, you know, into identity. So there's huge amounts of things that we should do. But, but, but firstly and foremostly, the reason that we are here is not to be activists, but to be worshippers. We are called to spend our lives on Jesus, turn our attention to Jesus, give our affection to Jesus because he's worth it, because his beauty compels us, because his character draws us, because his love woos us, because his activity in our lives and in history and in the communities around us blows our minds and, and, and wins our hearts. And so today's sermon, for me, it may not be for you, but for, to, for me, it's vitally important that we get this. And, and it's almost as if it's going to make no sense. And then it's going to make every piece of sense. It's almost as if it's going to be irrational. 
and then suddenly it's going to be rational. Could it really be that all this is about worship? That everything that we do and everything we dream of is firstly about worship? Could it be that the call of God for us is him because he's the daddy and he loves us because he's the creator and he made us because he's the savior and he rescues us and he's worth it. The first call is to go wow before we ever ask how. Let me say that again. The first call is to go wow. What God? Before we ever say how do we get involved with you God? Worship is everything. And that shouldn't be a weird thing for us or a tough assignment for us. But, but here's the thing. We so easily slip into becoming employees of the football club rather than friends and fanatics. We so easily slip into doing lots of things for Jesus and spending little time on Jesus. And so what I want to do is take us to this offensive passage of scripture and, and try and unpack it and try and make sense of it. And as I said to you, it's not, it's not really going to make sense. But, um, but let's read together from Mark's Gospel, chapter 14. What you need to understand is, that, is the story that I'm about to tell you is, is found in a number of the other Gospels. So we know that it, it really ha- well, we know it happened anyway. But it's, it's found in a, in a number of the other Gospels. And, and, and there are some of the details that are slightly different. But they, we were going to piece them together and try to make sense of, of this story. Verse 3. And while he, Jesus, was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table... A woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. Now, a few things you need to understand. Some of the other translations tell you that the person who... um, pours out the oil is Mary of Bethany. She may well have been Lazarus's uh, uh, sister and Martha's sister. Uh, 300 denarii, we know that that's about a year's wages. So in today's money, you know, average, average earnings, that's somewhere between 25 and 35,000 pounds she has in her hand as she is uh, meeting with Jesus. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Wow. So, a confession. It's good for the soul, apparently. But um, for, for me, a uh, confession, I love perfume. I mean, I know that won't surprise some of you, but I totally love perfume. I love the... So, so I, one of the reasons I love to travel is I get to go to duty-free, and I get to spray all the perfumes, and I get to smell the ones I like, and think that would be nice for Nikki, and that would be good for, and that this one would be good for me. And, uh, and I, I, love, I love the whole... After about three or four, your nose goes, totally. But I, I love it. My, my favorite shop in the whole of Edinburgh is a shop called Penhaligans. Does anyone know where that is? It's on George Street. It's an amazing shop. The smell is brilliant. It's a very, very expensive perfume shop. If they served coffee, I would sit there all day and write sermons in that shop because it smells so good. And what I've done is I've, I've taken to buying people presents from Penhaligans because I just like to be in there. and It's a bit awkward if you never buy anything. And so I've taken to buying presents. And here's the thing. When you buy presents, they give you loads of samples. So I, 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 all my perfume now is Penhaligon samples, free of charge. Don't tell them this, but that's, that's what I, I love. There's something about smell, isn't there? 
There's something about the way things smell. Creates an atmosphere. It's very beautiful to enter a room where there's a beautiful smell. Creates memories, doesn't it? You know, so often uh, when you smell something, it brings back a memory of something, either good or bad. The stuff here in this passage about perfume that's really significant. So you've got Jesus and there's this woman. Different accounts uh, tell us that she's probably Mary, maybe Mary of Bethany, maybe not. Uh, we, we may be in the house of Simon the leper. Probably Simon the leper wasn't there because he was a leper, which means he was either dead or he was in a leper colony, he'd have been exiled. So, so the, the house is, is clear and is being used, and Mary is there. And, and she has this crazy expensive ointment perfume called nard oil. It's crazy expensive and it's crazy rare. You, you could only get it in the Himalayas in India, and, uh, and they would bring it, and then you would have it. And usually it would be used for anointing dead bodies uh, for, of rich people. And it was worth a stack of money, about 30,000 pounds. And she breaks the jar. And according to different passages, she either anoints Jesus' feet or she anoints Jesus' head. And it's all gone. It's all gone. Maybe it was her inheritance. Possibly it was for her burial. Maybe it was for the burial of someone that she cared for. But she sees Jesus and she knows he is worth it. And then there is this dispute. Judas, of course, is is, is the one that we think we're talking about here. And he says, this is a waste of, of money and it should be spent on the poor. And we think, ah, Judas... Because Judas is always the pantomime villain of the New Testament, isn't he? And, and, but actually, the disciples agreed, and probably so would you. This is a waste. You've wasted stuff on Jesus. It's offensive, and it makes no sense. Just a few thoughts really quickly before we dive into this. What, what is worship? Worship is everyone. Everyone gets the play in, in, in the worship thing. This anonymous woman, maybe it's Mary, maybe it's not Mary. She anoints Jesus, the Messiah. And, and what we know from the Old Testament is that, that oil would always be used to anoint priests and uh, anoint kings. And, and here is a woman doing this thing, and a woman would never do this thing. And in fact, it was totally undignified for a woman to touch a man in public. It was almost forbidden. And Mary dares to cradle the feet of Jesus in her hands and spreads the oil across his ankles and maybe on his head and this is huge worship is for everyone there are no barriers there are no walls or ceilings you don't have to be a particular way to be a worshipper of Jesus your issue may be that or your challenge may be that or your background may be this or, or you may prefer this or, but, but, but every single one of us the only requirement is you need a heart to love him and the desire to seek him and a passion to glorify him. It's not about your behavior or how you came in here, but it's about your posture and your heart. Everybody gets to worship, and that is truly church. Everybody. Nobody is excluded. Worship is for everyone. The second thought here is that worship is everywhere. This is, this is Simon's house, which is not the synagogue or the temple. It's not a place of worship, but it's a place of worship. It's not a gathering, it's a party, and this is worship. This is a jar of perfume, not an incense bowl. Nobody's blessed it, nobody's consecrated it, nobody's set it aside, and there's no priest. This is a smell. It's not a Bethel worship track. This is a social gathering. It's not a prayer meeting, and it's called worship. Guys, everything... We do when we acknowledge Jesus and serve his purposes 
is worship, and you know that. I, I worship Jesus with the money that I spend and that which I save and what I give. I worship Jesus with how I listen to people and I don't judge them. I worship with Jesus with how I sing when nobody is listening. I worship Jesus with how I study and, and I clean the floor and what I say about others and when I watch the football and when I walk the dog and how I do my social media and how I respond when people hate me and give me grief. It's for him. It's for him. It's for him. That's what worship is. And, and, and and this is what worship is as well, just in case. Just in case we do that weird thing when we say worship is everything else that we do with our life. Because that's what we do, isn't it? We, say we, we flip from one thing to another and we say, well, this is, this is an aspect of worship. But actually, worship is what you do on Monday and Friday and when you work. And, but this is worship as well. And it's really important that when we come here, we don't come here as passive consumers of God's stuff. We come as participants in what God is doing because if we can't go all in in here, we'll never go all in out there. If we can't lean in in here and say, God, what are you saying? How can I, how can I respond? How can I love you? How can I serve you? If, 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 we, if we come here critically and saying, well, serve me, speak to me, play good music for me, then we'll never be able to engage with the stuff that God is doing. You know, and I totally, hear me, I, I totally understand that some of this stuff isn't your style. Because sometimes it's not mine. I totally understand there could be more variety and I totally understand that's not the way you're wired but, but you missed the point. It's not about you. It's about him. It's about his glory and his honor and his fame and his worship and it's about what he's doing. It's not about how you're feeling. It's not about your preferences. It's about his glory. It's about participating in, in what God is doing in this world and saying, I want to be part of it. I want to hear more of you. I want to serve you. I want to tell you how much I love you. I want to tell you how good you are. And I know that some of you don't want to wave your hands and dance, and I get that totally because that, that's not always the way I'm wired. But we can all lean in, can't we? We can all posture ourselves towards this God who's done incredible things for us. Let me talk to the guys here just for a, just for a moment cause, and I can talk to you because I am one. I do really like perfume as well but, uh, but I, you know, I, like, you know I, I often hear people, the guys say well you know the church is so feminized and we do the kind of Jesus my boyfriend songs and I don't like the Jesus my boyfriend songs and, and therefore I'll sit at the back and I'll fold my arms and I really want to get involved too much and actually that's okay because God didn't make me that way and I can look disinterested and, and I still get stuff out, 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 out of this thing I'm not sure I'm really not sure because I think it's a lie that we um we're not emotional beings. I think it's a lie that we're, we're not passionate, we're disinterested in things. Because I know that you're passionate about some things and interested in some things and quite geeky about some things and obsessed with some things and, 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 and going after some things. And, and yeah, we could do better with, but actually, we can lean in, can't we? We can participate in what God is doing. Because, and, and the reason this is important, I know it's around, but the reason this is important is this. If we can't go all in in here, we'll really find it difficult to go in, all in, out there. If we can't devote ourselves and say, okay, I'm, 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 I want to serve you, Jesus. I want to know you, Jesus. It's going to be really difficult for us to do that outside of the family unit. Worship is everywhere. And worship is everything. It's an all-in thing. It's not a half-in thing. Don't you love this story? Rather, rather than measure out a small amount of oil, which is probably what I would do, Mary smashes the jar and throws 30,000 pounds on Jesus' feet. I mean, this is ridiculous, isn't it, really? Offensive. She can't take it back. She's done it. She's not, you don't find her crawling around the floor trying to scrape it back into the jar again and use it the next time she finds a Messiah. She's all in. She's fully committed. She spares no expense. This was oil for her own burial, probably. This was her dowry, maybe. This was her inheritance. This was her chance. And she wastes it. And the religious guys are offended. The religious guys are always offended. There are lots of religious guys in churches. 
they're usually offended. And, and do you know how I know? I know because I'm a religious guy. I'm, I'm a totally religious guy. I mean, this makes no sense to me. This is crazy nuts stuff. Why would you, if, if I gave you 30,000 pounds, I'm not expecting you to go and just blow it in a second. There's no product here. You just smashed it and you've given it away. It's done. It's not helped anybody. It's not helped you. It's not, I wouldn't, I didn't give, do you know, the best of us, I'll tell you what the best of us would probably do. If I gave you a jar of nard oil, the best of us in this room would take it to Penhaligon's. That's what you do, isn't it? That's what I would do. I'd take it to Penhaligon's and I'd say, I've got a jar of nard oil. It's worth 30,000 pounds. Can you buy it off me? And then I bring 10% of that money. I'm not smart enough to work out what that is. I think it's 3,000 pounds. Is it? Yeah. And I bring it into the church and I, I feel really pleased with myself because I've tithed it. Isn't that what you do? And then you'd use the rest to buy whatever you need to buy and you justify it because it's good. You know, I'd buy a new car or I'd buy, save up for a conservatory or, I'd, or probably more likely I'd pay for my kids' education or I'd get out of debt and it would be good and it would be good stewardship and it would be good stuff and I'd justify it. But that's not what she does. It's totally offensive. She gives herself, she abandons herself in, in worship and she smashes it and she wastes it. But it's a beautiful waste, isn't it? There's something about the wastefulness that makes it beautiful. This is a love thing. This is, this is a love thing. The only other time that nard oil is mentioned in the scriptures, it's mentioned in Song of Solomon, and it's, it's spoken of as a love potion. This is, a, this is a love thing. Do you know, I don't know if you have ever been in love or you can remember when you were in love or, you know, but, but you know, when you first, when you first fall in love, it's just a waste of time. <laughs> I'm serious, it is, you know, it's actually literally a waste of time. You waste time. You waste time talking about nothing. You waste time on the telephone. You waste time talking about the person that you're in love with. You just waste time. There's no product to it. Well, you may end up with a ring on your finger, but there's no product. There's no, there, there, is, there is no product to the whole thing. It's really wasteful. It's offensive. You know, it's not good stewardship falling in love, is it? It really isn't. It's a total and utter waste. But it's a beautiful waste. Should Jesus have rebuked her? Maybe. Should she have... Should he have helped us scrape up the stuff and salvage some of the disaster? No, no, because it's a gift. It's a gift. She's given, you don't, you don't refuse, she's given the gift, hasn't she? And it's given, you know, I, I, I travel a lot and I go and stay in people's houses and I usually try and take a gift with me and I take a gift and, and they always say the same thing whenever I give someone a gift. They say, hey, thank you so much, but it wasn't necessary. You ever heard that? Oh, it wasn't necessary. Well, of course, it flipping wasn't necessary. It's a gift. It's not a transaction, I'm not paying, it's not Airbnb, you know, I'm, you're my friend, I'm your friend, it's a gift. Don't talk about necessary, it's not necessary, it's not, it's a gift, it's totally not necessary. Was, was his gift to you necessary? Actually, let's go further, are you necessary? Of course you're not necessary, there are 6.2 billion of you. He doesn't need you. You're not necessary. You're a luxury item. You're a total waste, aren't you? You're a, I'm a total waste. You're a total waste. You're a luxury item. It's like Penhaligons. You don't need Penhaligons. You can, you can smell okay with a cheap bar of soap. You're a total waste. It's, it's, was his gift to you a waste? When he smashed his jar of alabaster oil, his body, and he broke it and he died because he loves you it's a waste yeah it's not necessary didn't have to but it's a beautiful waste and you're all in and you're everywhere 
and your every one and your worship and our first thing as friends and fans is a beautiful waste in response to his beautiful waste. That's how it's supposed to work. That's how it's supposed to work. So worship, let let me just before we close, give you some warnings about worship. Because it's important, if it's this important, you need to have the warning stuff as well. Have you ever been to America and seen the commercials, the adverts? They call them commercials in America. The adverts. I love the, I love the adverts for drugs, like, like medication. There's this weird. Have you ever seen these things? So, so there's this new, new, um, new, uh, new medicine that's been developed, and it's, I know, let's say, you know, you used, you used to not be able to walk, but if you take this pill, you'll be running and leaping. It'll be incredible, and, and you'll have n- new life in every way. And, and that, for about 30 seconds, the commercial tells you how amazing this drug is. It's going to change everything about you. It's the best thing you've ever discovered. And then they spend a minute and a half telling you of all the side effects of that drug. You seen it? The, the lawyers have got hold of it, and then they say this drug could help you, but you'll probably die a very painful death and have stomach ulcers in the process. Nobody will talk to you, and you'll have bad breath, <laughs> or whatever it is. They, they do all that kind of. You've not seen those. You need to go to America just to see those commercials. I want to give you the warning signs. The small print here it is. Worship. Selfless devotion will cost you financially. I'll tell you why. Because if you go all in, if you say the first thing I've got to do is to waste my life on Jesus, it will cost you because your heart will get caught up in the stuff his heart is caught up in. And your stuff will get caught up in the stuff his heart is caught up in. And you'll find yourself wasting your money on Jesus. Wasting your money on Jesus' people and Jesus' projects. Your retirement becomes not your retirement. Your home becomes not your home. Your car becomes not your car. Your family becomes not your family because it's his family and you wasted it on him. And once you wasted it, you can't take it back. It'll cost you financially. And and, and, and notice this, it will cost you socially. It'll cost you of any reputation you had. One of the other accounts in John tells us that Mary didn't use a towel to wipe the Lord's feet. She used her hair and that was atrocious. Respectable Jewish women never let their hair down in public and she not only lets her hair down but she, she wipes the Messiah's feet with her hair. It was a sign of her being a loose woman but here's, here's the thing, she didn't care because Mary is so caught up with her devotion to Jesus. She doesn't stop to consider what other people are thinking about her. Here's the question. Do you treasure Jesus more than your reputation? More than whatever people think about you? Do you know what, how much other people keep you from Jesus? What they will think and what they're going to think and how they're going to behave and how, how they're going to react if I, if I go all in. There will always be Judases around. There will, there will always be people ready to criticize you. It's far too, it's not rational, it's far too self-indulgent. We should do more stuff for Jesus. And stop being a fan, it's crazy, it's too intense. Give more to the poor. Jesus says, hey, 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 hey. The poor you'll always have with you. You're gonna have them and you can always give to the poor. I, th- I think what Jesus is saying, just, just watch. You give yourself to me and then watch what happens to the poor. You give yourself to me and then see what happens in this world. The poor will be blessed in a way you couldn't possibly ever bless them. And Judas, you're more concerned with spending your life on yourself than wasting it on me. Guys, the secret to the fruitfulness of your life is not about what you do. It's about who you behold. It's not about what you do. It's about who you behold. Listen, listen to the Apostle Paul. He says this in 2 Corinthians. And we all with unveiled faces behold the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. In other words, as you look at Jesus, you begin to look like Jesus. You begin to smell like Jesus. The secret is Jesus, not you. 
It's, it's, it's not firstly about how you witness, it's about who you worship. And then you get transformed. Guys, if, if you want to totally waste your life, then spend it on yourself. Spend it on your kids, spend it on your pursuits, spend it on your career, spend, spend it any way you want to spend it. If you want to waste your life, for whoever will save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. But if you spend it on Jesus, if you waste it on Jesus, if you break your jar of oil over Jesus, it will cause a stink to rise in the nostril of God that will bless his heart. Do you know, um, if you go to Penhaligon's today and you ask them about uh, the oil that they use, they'll tell you this, that they use about 3% oil to 97% alcohol in their strongest perfumes. But this is 100% nard oil. So when she smashes the nard oil, the whole of Bethany stinks of nard oil. It's not just the house, the whole of Bethany. And it's all over Jesus' skin. And it's all over Mary's hands. Everybody stinks of nard oil. And here's the thing. Jesus is about to go to a cross just a number of days later. He still stinks of nard oil. And so as he's hanging on the cross and he's breathing his last and he's speaking his words, the last smell that he smells is Mary's worship and Mary's devotion and Mary's all in and Mary's pursuit of him. And as Mary leaves, having seen the savior of the world crucified, she still smells of nard oil. She still smells of the fragrance of worship. If you spend your life on Jesus, you will smell like Jesus. You will smell of his generosity. You will smell of his compassion. You will smell of his mercy. You will smell of his kindness and it will stink. And people around you and communities around you will start to smell like Jesus because it's infectious. The one thing we have to do, the one thing we have to do is to worship. And that will change everything. That will change everything. Friends and fans, not franchise. And here's the thing, as you listened to that story and as you, you heard God speak, for some of you that would have been an upgrade. And for some of us, it'll be a search. Some of us will be going, yeah, that's what I've been trying to do. It hasn't made any sense and nobody understands it because, you know, I should be doing this and I should be pursuing that and I should be... But actually what I've been trying to do is I've been trying to pursue Jesus and let him change my heart and let him provoke my life. I just feel encouraged by that. And others of us, we feel a search because we know that actually we bought into a, a process where we've actually just become a franchise. We're just trying to do the stuff. And it's all good and it's all noble, but it, tell you what, it's going to blow out. Because we can't deal with the uh, with geopolitics, we can't we can't handle the, the the massive issues that are going on in the world. We can participate, but he can, because he's the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. He's the Lion of the Tribe of Judah, and he's the Lamb who was slain. And as we get close to him and break our jars on him, we get to smell like him, and it changes everything around us. We have one thing to do. We have to worship Jesus. We have to worship Jesus. So let's pause for a moment and let's pray.
our dreams, our ambitions, our stuff, our lives, our families, for it came from you, it belongs to you, it's to glorify you. The first thing that we want to do is worship you. We repent of the times when we've made it about stuff we have to do to win your favor because you love us already. You are worthy of all things. You smashed the jar of your life for us. You smashed the jar. And we smash our jars in return. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. For from you are all things. And to you are all things. You deserve the glory. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things, you deserve the glory. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. As we've been singing, God's been speaking to me about um, one or two guys that are here today. And um, you know... Not because I've said it, but because the Holy Spirit's been convicting you that you've been passive as a worshipper. And you've used every excuse and you know it and God and you've been having a conversation even, even as I was speaking. God and you've been having a conversation and he's been wooing you and drawing you and you've been resisting. And because he's not a bully, he will never force you. But he's inviting you into deeper intimacy. And intimacy is not a word you like, but that's the word he's using. He's inviting you into deeper intimacy and no more excuses. And he says, do you know what? The stuff that you want to do for me will only happen when you pursue my presence. Because it's the overflow stuff. It's the overflow stuff. There are, there are one of just, I think there are two guys that God's speaking to about that stuff. And we'd love to pray for you. Um, around and this is this is hard, okay? But um, if God's been speaking to you, then you need to come find me in a few minutes, and we're gonna we're gonna pray around around that stuff. Um, and uh, 
maybe not even closely related, but there was one, or two, one guy who um, you came and your heart is broken for your son. And you've been wrestling with God about your son. And he's far away from God at the moment. But the Lord, um, and in fact, I think even as you came in up the steps here, you were thinking about your son and you were asking God about your son. And the Lord wants you to know this, that he loves your son more than you do. And that he's got him. And he has a plan for him. And his plan is restoration. But his plan is more than restoration. His plan is ministry and service, worship and devotion. And he's got your son. So if, if, that's, if that's you, I would love to pray for you as well around, around that stuff. So two guys here that you know that you, you need to pursue intimacy, but intimacy is not a word. And, and one guy, Sorry, it's the guys, the boys today. I think God's doing some stuff. What we're going to do is we're going to just respond to God in worship by taking bread and wine. We're going to worship together and we're going to see what God is doing as we do that, and uh, we're going we're to smash our alabaster jars. Not that we have any, but you know, this is, lit- this is not literal. We're going to smash out, and we're going to say, God, you're worthy of it all. We're going to lay some stuff on the altar. And so I, I got all the logistics wrong this morning, so stay with me. I think we're going to have, we've got wine, it's real wine, and we've got real bread. And you'll have real wine and real bread at the front here, and one at the back and one in the, uh, one in the gallery. And uh, if you're a special person like me and you need gluten-free, then you have to go right in the, the shame corner over, <laughs> over here and you get gluten-free. Unfortunately, you also get non-alcoholic wine, okay? So uh, if you don't want to do alcohol, if that's a challenge for you, you want to go over there. And if you want to, um, if you want to have bread that's not bread, then, um, then over there. The reason we celebrate this thing it's because Jesus smashed his alabaster jar. Do you know, that's, that's why we saw, because he gave it all. He couldn't take it back. He gave his life. He poured out his blood for us. Broke himself on a cross so that we might be whole, we might be forgiven, we might be free. And so we just come and celebrate and say, thank you, God. And in response, we smash our jars. And we, we, we say, you're worthy of it all. We waste our lives on you. So let's just respond. We're going to worship. And, uh, and, and if God's been speaking to you, and if, if you're one of those guys that I was mentioning, then come, come and meet me here. I'm going to have a couple of other guys with me who are going to pray for you and ask God to bless you. And we may have a few other things that we think God is doing this evening. So let's just worship and let's come and receive.